KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. There has been a lot of discussion about the idea of paying college athletes. Now, for many people, that means the athletes getting paid by the school they play for. But there is also another way for them to get compensated, and that is the athletes being allowed to monetize their name, image, and likeness. It's a fascinating topic, and we wanted to learn more about it. So we reached out to Dr. Tilo Kunkel. He is the director of the Sport Industry Research Center and an associate professor at Temple University School of Sport, Tourism, and hospitality management. He's done a ton of research into this, and it's a really interesting conversation. Give a listen. So let's start just the concept. I think a lot of people are starting to see NIL written with regards to student-athletes. What does NIL stand for? What's it all about? NIL, the name, image, and likeness of student-athletes, is really encapsulating everything that the student is as in what what they stand for what they believe it's really a requirement of them owning who they are so it's that they own their name they own their image in terms of their visuals when uh, they promote certain aspects as well as the likeness and the likeness is something that goes beyond just the tangible aspects it's that intangible how does it make the person feel does it make the person react? And we see a lot of that already in influencer marketing. These, these students, they have a real pull because of that likeness. So it's really encapsulating the whole person. When we talk about profiting off it, right now, college student athletes, they're unable to profit off of anything, correct? In, broad, in the broad scheme, yes, there are some conferences that have started to allow students to profit off their name, image, and likeness. And there are some students that have actually capped and ready. When you say so, like, uh, how close are we to this becoming the norm? Because it does seem like this is the direction momentum's going. And a lot of times with things like this, kind of once the boulder starts rolling downhill, it happens relatively quickly. Yeah, I think the floodgates are going to be open fairly soon. So it's it's not a slow process. As soon as the legislation is actually moving forward, in this case, I would assume that the NCAA needs to make decisions before the states force them to make the decisions for them, because otherwise there will be major differences between states that have pushed for the equal pay to play uh, act such as California, where it's already been announced, compared to other states. And that's probably the last thing that the NCAA wants is disparity or different member conferences um, within its portfolio. So I, while they're trying to delay the whole process at the moment, I think as soon as the NCAA is going to make a decision on how they're going to move forward, And once they provide a framework on how to do that and how to implement it, there's going to be opportunities for student student athletes around the nation at the same time. So it's going to be really exciting. It's going to also probably be be a little bit of the Wild West. And you mentioned some conferences. What have we seen so far in the, the, the limited places where this has been allowed? Uh, we've seen uh, some athletes that uh, have gotten have amount, a, mass, a massive amount of followers on TikTok and through their, through their sport and 
gone viral through TikTok and they've actually started um, working with some brand agencies and doing some sponsored dances even in, in how they are getting their brand out there and how they're monetizing that following. And we've seen something like that in the past where uh, student athletes that have retired or that actually once they, once they got drafted to the pro leagues, obviously then they have really monetized. But then even quite a few athletes that haven't been going pro in some of the major sports, such as, for example, women's gymnastics, there are quite a few athletes that have amassed quite a few followers, thousand, hundred thousand of followers that haven't gone pro, but they have really leveraged their social media following in order to build their career and, and monetize that name, image and likeness after the career. So I know you've done a lot of research in this specifically talk about the research that, that you, re- you recently put forth. So I, my main research has been always sport branding in general, as in what is that brand, what people perceive and how does it make them feel? So more recently, we've looked at the name, image and likeness value of college athletes because the NCAA's restrictions and their main argument was always that the value lies with the university so that people are going to follow a specific university because of the university name, not because of the athlete. And our argument was that we can... So we can use social media and social media following and engagement as a proxy to really say, well, this is the athlete building a following. And we make an assumption that the brand size or the brand value is somewhat equal that following, as in that social proof that they get in the number of people that they can reach and so on. So we really looked at the number of social media of these student athletes and found some pretty interesting results. One is that quite clearly the following differs between a lot of athletes at the same institution. So, for example, a star quarterback we saw had a lot more followers than someone who is on the rowing team. Now, that's not rocket science, but it shows that the NCAA's uh, argument that the value is with the university is false because otherwise these um, rowers would have a similar following than the than the star quarterback. The other aspect that we looked at is also um, how 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 much money could these athletes make if we just applied traditional or general influencer marketing valuations, as in how much would it cost to get an influencer with a similar following how much would it cost to get them to do a a sponsored post because that's really the the simplest form and the most objective form of quantifying the value it's really difficult to say how much would uh, a signature go for from someone on the rowing team Um, but it's much easier to say well if you have five thousand followers how much would you would i have to pay for you to do a shout out so that's that was our approach and then we looked at the social media following of male athletes female athletes Um, we looked at the number of followers as well as the engagement that they're getting so likes comments retweets and and compared all of that and applied these standardized metrics and we in the end we examined over twenty thousand tweets over twenty thousand instagram posts and really looked at the value of those athletes and, and could demonstrate that. 
Some of these athletes have massive value that exceeds hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. Some are negligible. So again, that goes against the NCAA statement saying that, well, they're all amateurs, they are all the same, and that's the value is at the university level. And it was interesting, it kind of dig down into the, the idea that some of these niche sports that maybe don't get a lot of media attention, but there's still an audience there for, for things like this. Yeah, they might not be the star quarterback, but gymnastics, uh, field hockey, you know, maybe not your quote-unquote mainstream visual sports, but you talk about how there, there's an audience and there's a market there as well. Absolutely. And the interesting part is that general influencer marketing, we're also moving more and more towards those micro influencers that are those that have an influence on a very specific niche population that has a specific interest. So if you think about a lacrosse player or a field hockey player uh, in their early 20s, they would have a very targeted audience. And if that audience is really believing in the expertise, which is one of the main factors of what drives endorsement effectiveness, then, then we see that that athlete is probably more likely to activate a specific audience and actually get them to follow through with some actions that are valued by the brand, such as going to a website, checking out their products, maybe buying, using a discount code and so on. Then some of the more established follow athletes with a lot more followers, but they're not the expert in that area and they don't address that specific niche. So from that, that perspective, these niche sport athletes really have uh, a lot of potential there to be very effective uh, for organizations to get to reach a specific target market. And as you said, gymnastics, the uh, rock climbing, some of the water sports and, and some other sports that really have that visual content, they, they, these athletes are amassing thousands of followers. And the interesting part that we found in our study is that these athletes have more than double the average engagement rate than regular influencers. So not only do they have the following, but they also are able to engage their audience and with algorithms changing in social media, this is a major advantage because we're moving more and more towards that um, influence and that engagement and away from just, oh, I have 100,000 followers. But if I tell them buy this product, then no one even clicks on the link. So we're moving more and more towards that actual influence. You mentioned at the beginning that we could see kind of a wild, wild west approach. And I'm kind of fascinated by if this is unrestrained and, and you just kind of have kids pushing stuff. Wild, wild west is really right. Cause it would be all over the place. It would be chaos for a while. Wouldn't it? I don't think we can say it would, it will be. So that's an <laughs> exciting part as well, to be honest, because some, some schools are already arguing that their student athletes wouldn't be allowed to advertise alcohol. But then the school's athletic department has an alcohol sponsorship. So how is that legal? And how is that ethical then to restrict these athletes from that? The other part, the same thing we see with uh, betting companies. We see the University of Colorado has signed a betting partner. Now, can these athletes sign betting partners? 
really interesting questions that we will need to investigate. And we will, we will see that um, a lot of athletes will probably do something, then get a slap on the wrist. And, and then we'll see some of the frameworks being created and being um, modified. One of the main things that I think is going to happen is ambush marketing, where one athlete, where the athlete is basically signing a partnership with a direct competitor of the sponsor of the school. Now, the schools are trying to avoid that. So if the school is, uh, is partnered with Toyota, the athlete signing a direct partnership with Kia or with Mercedes or any of that. And schools will need to create some guidelines. It's going to be really influent, in, interesting in how they are coming up with their guidelines, how strict they are going to reinforce them and um, what they will allow their athletes. But the most, or if I can provide a recommendation for schools, it's the more guide, guidance they can give their athletes and the more they can educate them on how to make money, the less work they will have later on. I want you to, given your immense knowledge, the research you've done, Take me ahead 10 years once we're to the point where this has been unleashed. What, what does this look like? What do you think is the most likely scenario? Is this something the NCAA is in charge of? Is it the federal government? Is a new bureaucracy created? I, you could go in a lot of different directions. What do you think is most likely and or, and or what do you think would be best? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting part. Now, I think the next the first two years as after this is rolled out, as, as I said, it's going to be a little bit, it's a lot of trial and error. Um, we will probably see the schools and the NCA are trying to prevent a lot of the actions um, of their athletes. I would assume we see a lot of lawsuits against schools actually illegally preventing their athletes to monetize. I will, ex- I do expect that in 10 years, as you said, the, NCA is probably still governing a lot of a lot of the action. If they are if they are smart, they're going to create a really athlete friendly framework because that is going to save them from competitors that are going to creep up and take in their cut. So if the NCA doesn't create a strong framework on helping those athletes to monetize and educating them to monetize and how to do it in a proper way then uh, they are going to lose out in the long run that's my prediction how is it going to look like i think in in 10 years a lot of these student athletes are going to come in with an expectation that they're getting not only their education in their fields that they're studying but also they're getting a course on personal branding personal brand management personal brand monetization and they're going to make some money just doing social media shout outs or um, even gaming with like, say, let's let's play PlayStation 5 together and let's play FIFA together on the PlayStation. I'm on the soccer team of the university. Let's let's game together. I'll, and it costs you five dollars. Like, OK, I'll pay the five bucks. And I think we'll see a lot of that happening. And it's going to be in those smaller scale in engagement smaller scale experiences where it's like five dollars here ten dollars there um and i think a lot of student athletes are going to make some money off the road of it they're not going to get most of them won't get rich of it but if it can subsidize some of their regular income on a daily basis 
then why not? And I think you talk, you mentioned earlier, you know, from we go from wild, wild west to where this is accepted and we've got a system in place, going to be a lot of trial and error. And you could see a lot of situations where, you know, athlete X is the best athlete on a team, does something the school doesn't like to monetize, gets suspended by the school for whatever. And then we could have a situation where you've got coaches arguing that the school having to put the school against the athlete. And we could see a lot of awkward situations, couldn't we, while this all shakes out? Oh, absolutely. And I think that there will be some schools that are going to create some real competitive advantage for themselves by being really athlete friendly. And they're going to really attract some of the top talented athletes because they can provide that education, that knowledge, they can provide the support. Um, so the schools probably won't be allowed to find them sponsors um, because that's also going getting into some Title IX issues. So if I get the sponsorship for 10 male athletes, I also need to find sponsors for 10 female athletes from a school perspective. But they can provide the education, they can provide the how to really approach it, and they can provide a framework that allows those athletes to really make some money. And that's going to be a driver for some of these young, really talented athletes that can pick as in, am I going to go into Clemson, which prevents me from monetizing, or am I going to join Temple, which is really a switch on, they're going to get me the education and they will allow me to monetize at the same time. So I will think that I think that a lot of schools are going to use that to their advantage and they're going to actually get, they're going to come out of that as winners. Yeah. And to that point, we kind of talk when this, when this, really goes mainstream it's going to happen quick because of that point all it's going to take is one school to lose a prized recruit to another school that's doing this and that coach is going to go to the administration and say i can't be competitive because school x is offering this and once you know that kind of happens at a couple places it's you know everything's on the table right absolutely totally agree and then once a school is going to like if you if you think about it, if if I'm a star quarterback or I'm on the basketball team or a top top gymnast with five hundred thousand followers, and someone offers me twenty thousand dollars for a, a shout out post, I'm gonna do it. Now, are you really going to tell me you're gonna kick me off the team? Because if you do, I'm gonna find another team next week that's going to pick me up, and I'm gonna do another shout out, and I'm get, building my brand on you basically kicking me off the team. So there's going to be a lot of power being transferred into the realm of the athletes. It's going to be super interesting to follow. And there's going to be a lot of business opportunities. Um, If you think about it, if I'm a lacrosse brand right now, and I want to reach a target audience of 21-year-old lacrosse players, now I got to go to a lacrosse pro. But I could also just like DM some of the lacrosse team at the university. I'm like, hey, 20 bucks for a shout out. And if they're smart, they negotiate a little bit up. But I think why not take that money? Send it over via Venmo. And I think there's also a lot of tax implications that we really don't even consider at the moment. So I'm paying you $20 for a shout out by Venmo. Um, you actually are now an entity. You usually need to tax that. So I think the NCA really has 
an opportunity here to really come through with their student first, athlete second mantra, where they say, we educate you, we provide education for life. And this is real business education that is provided and that is applied at the same time. So if they do it right, they can come out good at it at the end, which is quite difficult to do for them at the way they're acting right now. Throughout our entire conversation, I've just been running through my head and I, I have a hard time getting my head around how this is going to shift the power dynamics completely around. When you think about basically we've got big time coaches now that get a significant bonus if their athletes hit an academic level. You know, if they average 3.2, they, the athletes get a round of applause. The coach gets $150,000. And this just has a chance to really change the dynamic of, of what's out there. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're, you're a school and I'm an athlete, you're not paying me, right? That's the difference. Is in name, image, and likeness doesn't mean that the schools are going to pay the athlete for their services to the school. It just means that the athlete is able to monetize from outside sources. Now, well, if you're a school and you're not paying me and you're now you're kicking me off the roster, like, why do I not just join the next school? I know I'm a good player. I know I can make some money, so I'm going to make some money. And if, it, if you don't like it, I'm just going to go somewhere else. So that whole restriction that the NCAA is placing on the athletes um, is, is really being challenged. And you mentioned the school's not paying. There's been a big push as well on a separate front to just pay student athletes. And I think people look specifically at the football, basketball teams at most universities that generate so much revenue. How do you see that discussion fitting into this one? Could, if the NCAA sees the light and opens the door for name image likeness, could they point to that and say, we don't, we're allowing you to make money off of what you do here, but we're not going to pay you. Does it take some of the pressure off that argument or no? I think this is the only chance they have to take pressure off that argument. And I think if I would advise the NCAA to do anything, then it's yes, let them monetize and the market will solve their, their value. The market will, will balance it out. And what the NCAA is, what these universities are still providing is education, a lot of scholarships, and they have some real value. So in our research, we show that the scholarship value of, of an average scholarship um, exceeds any of the social media value of over 97% of all of the athletes in our sample. So there's really only about 3% that could make a little bit more on so, through their sponsorships in in our sample than what they what the value is of their scholarship. In the end, a lot of these athletes don't really don't have the value to get paid. And those that do can really monetize through social media or through other forms. Social media is just one of the, the simplest one, but through other forms. And that I think is the really the only argument that the NCAA has against actually paying them for their services as in the market will solve this we're not paying because when you get into paying then again you have title nine issues that well you're paying 10 basketball players male basketball players because you're duke and you're competing in march madness every year and you're going far and you get a lot of million dollars from the ncaa tv deal 
yeah, but now you also need to pay at least 10 female athletes. And you may actually make a lot less through their TV revenue from those female sports. And not all female sports are worth less than male sports. And you've mentioned earlier, gymnastics is televised. They, they're just amazing athletes and they get attention even on an international level. So in that sense, in there, the females are the stars and the male athletes aren't, aren't the stars. So it can swing both ways, but it needs to be. I think the schools are going to struggle if they start paying because that tuition ultimately then also comes from other students, which is going to put them in some some ethical and more ethical questions than they're already facing. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.